0: This is Strange Assembly, episode 242, Waterdeep Dragon Heist. I'm Chris Stevenson, and here with me today is Jay Earl. Hello. And this is Strange Assembly, your tabletop gaming podcast. You can find us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. You can subscribe to the podcast there on iTunes and the Apple Podcasts app, the Google Play Music Store. You can also find us on social media. We're facebook.com slash strangeassembly and at strangeassembly on Twitter. And we have even moved in further into the modern age. And we're also strangeassembly on Instagram now because pictures are pretty. I know. I know. We're only like, you know, 10 years after everybody else. So Jay and I today are going to be talking about just Waterdeep Dragon Heist, which is the new supplement for Dungeons & Dragons 5th edition. It is an adventure supplement for characters of levels 1 to 5, or maybe only 1 to 4. Uh, we'll talk about that. That is all we're going to talk about today, very focused episode, but... Jay, why don't you uh, go ahead and give the high-level summary of what Dragon Heist is about?
1: Uh, Sure. So, as Chris mentioned, Dragon Heist is an adventure book. It's taking place in the city of Waterdeep. It's a heist. There's several adventures going on, but sort of they're all leading towards this heist where one of the big muckety-mucks of the city of Waterdeep has accidentally misplaced a very large fortune. And, you know, of course the players want to get it, but at the bare minimums, they would like to keep, you know, bad people from getting their hands on this treasure and therefore doing more bad things better. (laughs) I feel like, especially for fifth level, it's a little much to actually drop all of that money in the player's hands, so success may simply be preventing anyone anyone at all from getting their hands on it, But or if you're good, getting the treasure and then handing it over to who who it should belong to.
0: Yeah, I feel like the uh, correct, as it were, quote-unquote correct outcome of the adventure is the characters recover... The hoard, and get a finder's fee, maybe, but yeah. the bulk of it goes back to the people it was stolen from.
1: Yeah. As far as the layout of the book, it's got several. I mean, it's 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 got lots of options that you can go through how you want to tell the story. Uh, for instance, one of the first things that you're going to do is, as the DM, is you're going to pick which which of a couple of options of big bads is going to be the main antagonist. For your story, and so that's going to c- color everything as you go forward, though you're not locked in. You can, you know, if antagonist A is not working out for you, you can switch over to antagonist B and with just a few some changes. Uh, I also like how they structure it based on which antagonist you go with, is going to be what time of year this is, and so the city is going to be different in the summer than it would be in the winter. If you're trying to do a rooftop chase during a blizzard, that's a very different rooftop chase than the one you have in the fall where it's raining and everything's wet. So I I like that it gives sort of that level of living city where things do actually change. It also has a lot of background information on the city itself giving you a lot of details to really make the city feel world- real and let you not just play this one specific adventure in it, but put your own stories in there and interact with all of the the characters and stuff. For instance, one of the biggest th- things of of Waterdeep is the, the Inn of the Yawning Portal, which is a famous tavern full of adventurers. And one of the two-page spreads is a picture of Oh, people you might see at this fancy tavern, and letting you know who all of them are, and names you may or may not recognize. And Also, speaking of names you may or may not recognize, I really appreciate that there's actually, at the start of the book, a pronunciation guide, so you know how to properly pronounce some of these weird, random elf or dwarf or beholder or what have you names that you, you know look like just somebody mashed the keyboard, but here's how you actually are supposed to pronounce that.
0: Yeah, so the the high-level, spoiler-free concept of this is, like Jay said, it, it is a heist. The books really divide into the two parts, one of which is this adventure, and the other half, which is a sort of more background information on Waterdeep. And I think the things that make this uh, adventure stand out are. One, like Jay mentioned, there's some real modularity to it. The DM has the choice of who the antagonist is going to be, which changes a variety of things. Also, because of the urban and social setting here, factions that the players do or do not join can make a difference on various NPC interactions at different points in the adventure. Serious differences sometimes and so that includes some Waterdeep specific things and it also includes your generic D&D 5th edition Lord's Alliance Emerald Enclave sort of, of options and it's not just the factions there's also a, a real level of socialization that's assumed this is not an adventure that you can just hack and slash your way through you are going to have to interact with people and there are also beats in the story that really assume that the characters care about what's going on in the city and care about particular individuals in the city, and so it, it's incumbent on the DM to make sure that their players actually care about that and incumbent on the players to, I guess, put themselves in the mindset where that sort of thing could actually matter to them.
1: So, Chris, I'm going to slightly disagree with you on the idea that you can't just hack and slash your way through it, because part of the background of of Waterdeep is it does include all of the crimes that you'll be charged with and the punishments that you earn when you go and just hack and slash and steal your way through the the city.
0: Yes, there is a handout in the back. It's the code legal, and... It is the list of punishments that can be happened. It's not, And so it's, it's not illegal to walk around Waterdeep heavily armed as an adventuring party, but it is unusual, but it is indeed illegal to do things like, I suspect that this person may be behind evil stuff, but I don't really have any evidence of that, but I'm just going to break into their estate anyway and then things are going to go badly when they call the city watch on you. Right? You know, I mean, you, and some of the stuff is, well, yeah, you can hack and slash your way through and then you can either take on the entire city watch or get hit with some of the punishments like death or banishment or, (laughs) I mean, yeah, but it's, it's not just that there's, but there's also definitely places where there is puzzling and actions that you need to take that are not stabbing people in order to advance the story. So I, I guess what I what I like to do because this is an adventure slash campaign look is kind of shift to a more spoily mode for somebody who might be the DM. But did you have any sort of spoiler free for the player thoughts before we did that, Jay?
1: Not off the top of my head, no.
0: Okay. So fair warning there's now going to be discussion of some of the individual things that might go on in Dragon Heist. Oh, and I should specify that it is a Dragon Heist because dragons are a unit of money in Waterdeep. So if, in case anybody was thinking that like actual dragons had been stolen, not so much. Uh, <laughs> We're going to steal a dragon. You could do a Dragon Egg Heist. Yeah. All right. So in, into the, the spoilery zone. So... As the the DM, Dragon Heist is really organized into four pertinent chapters for the adventure. And like an awful lot of the 5th edition campaign or adventure books, I think at least, well, maybe Jay will disagree with me, that that really you're going to throw XP out the window and you're just going to do a milestone progression. So chapter 1 of the book is first level, chapter 2 is second level, chapter 3 is third level, chapter 4 is fourth level. And then that's really it for the adventure. There's like a fifth-level section, but that's kind of weird and separate. So the first level is a, is a pretty standard introductory sort of thing that gives you some hooks into what's going on with the criminal organizations that are fighting in the city. Uh, chapter 2 is a very unorthodox chapter. It does not have a unified storyline. As the result of their level 1 events, the characters now have a base in the city. And it's assumed that in Chapter 2, they're going to have a little bit of plot that goes on with what's happening with their base. And there's going to be some individual plot elements that are faction missions, assuming Mm -hmm. that the characters have joined factions. And you should strongly encourage your characters to join factions, because it really is greatly to their advantage to join factions.
1: Plus, it's fun. Yeah.
0: That too. It is more interesting if you have social connections. But also... It will help them greatly. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Also true, Yes. So, in fact, I think there are parts that like really assume, or at least one part that really assumes that the players have buddies. Uh, so that is the second chapter, right? So you really, I don't think you're going to come anywhere close to having a level worth of experience at level two if you are not either padding that out with other things, which you can do, or or doing the milestones. Chapter three more directly gets into the, the heist aspect of it because this is where you you sort of introduce the MacGuffin that's necessary to get at the vault. But again, it, it really assumes that the players directly care about their environment and their social setting because it's, the chapter is called Fireball and it opens up with someone detonating a fireball and killing some of their neighbors. That's not the intent of the fireball. That's not the purpose of the fireball, but that's an effect of it. And this then results in the players popping around the city, chasing after the being with the MacGuffin. And then it really ends up the sort of highlight of this is where you start getting into this sticky social legal thing. And definitely requires, I think, the GM to, or the DM to, to be careful how they do it. Because you have to, if you don't want this to be a very truncated level. You really have to get the players to be willing to go into that nobles' estate uninvited. But then the players also really have to make sure that they handle the situation carefully. I mean, it goes badly either way if they don't go in at all. Or at least it goes boringly if they don't go in at all. And badly. But it also will go badly if they go in and get it wrong which can be a really interesting thing, but definitely you as the DM are going to have to make sure to to finesse that. This is one of the places, and there are several in this book because there are social and puzzle things where I kind of live as a, a DM by, by the notion that you have to assume that your players will not figure out the puzzles and that your players will not get the clues. And you know you as the DM have to be there to to try to make sure that everything doesn't just fall apart right? because of some misunderstanding or lack of comprehension.
1: Well, I mean, my experience is if it's the puzzle off of the back of the kids' menu at Denny's that you expect them to solve in two seconds, they will never figure it out. If it's the puzzle that has been the culmination of your campaign that you've worked months and months on, that you expect to take the whole session and you've got plans to carefully dole out clues to get them towards the right ta- track, one of them will be like, oh, this is Unix and solve it in two seconds. So, you know. <laughs> both, both, both options.
0: There you go. Yes, yes. You'll you'll drop the puzzle of speak, friend, and enter, and you'll have the group right. of players who have never read Tolkien. You yeah. know, it's just how it works. Uh, or you'll think that you're so clever and every single one of them will have read it and know exactly what Good point, Jay. Yeah. So then I, I think really the heart of Dragon Heist, as well as the climax, is, is Chapter 4. And this is where you get into a really detailed aspect of the modular nature of this adventure because there are 10 different locations detailed in Chapter 4. And in any given adventure, the players are going to go through eight of them But the order that they go through them and what is happening there is going to depend on who the antagonist is and what season it is. Because that's going to, right, depending on who the antagonist you've chosen is, that's going to affect who it is who's got the MacGuffin and where they're trying to go with it. And, of course, what season is, like Jay mentioned in the the thing, right, the summertime chase across the rooftops is not the same thing as the Heart of Winter chase across the rooftops. This is like a heist movie, part of it. You definitely are going to have to learn chase rules. Yeah. Because that is going to come up (laughs) when you're telling Chapter 4. And I I think really that's the climax of Chapter 4 is actually probably that series of scenes that together make this chase across Waterdeep. There is then the final part of Chapter 4, which is where the characters hopefully figure out how to get into the vault that they need to get into and get all the cash that has been... It's a pile of cash that was embezzled from the city of Waterdeep by the former Open Lord. And they're going to get into there and you're going to have to make sure they get the puzzles and they have to social their way. You you cannot really fight your way into getting access to the gold. It's just not realistically feasible. And you're really going to need allies for the final battle because some of the final battle things are options are essentially impossible.
1: Super, super OP, yeah.
0: Yeah, a group of fourth level characters is not going to take on uh, a CR 15 uh, guy who also has minions with them, right? It's not going to happen. So right, again, this is, if you are looking for a straight up, I want my players to just be able to mindlessly hack their way through it, and I as the DM just want to be able to mindlessly set up pins for them to knock down, Waterdeep's not going to work very well for you. If you do want to have that more sort of especially the social interaction with some puzzling in there too, then Dragon Heist is going to be more up your alley. I think it also has some really great art in here normally i'd mention this during the spoiler free section but as you're dming you'll find that there's this trio of street urchins who are named nat jenks and squidly and they or squiddy sorry and they show up in all of the the chase scenes and exactly how they show up will depend on who the antagonist is and and what season is going on but they will show up once in each of those and so then you have actually five different two-page spreads featuring these kids there's one for each season back in the the sections that are divided by seasons and then there's also one that opens it up which is sort of like the three of them looking out over Waterdeep. they're not big characters in the story but they're fun characters and they might be my favorite part of this book while we're talking about art and favorite parts of the book
1: i'm going to pull out that uh in, in a section where he's talking about Xanathar, the Beholder, who, if, like me, you are familiar from, with him from the earlier book, Xanathar's Guide to Whatever, where the cover- Everything. Everything, yeah. <laughs> Xanathar's Guide to Everything, where the cover art had his little pet Remora on the cover. There's an art piece in here where there's like a little gnome stealing said pet fish while Xanathar is chasing after him. So that was one of my favorite pieces of art.
0: Yeah, and they do. And I think that art shows up because after the four levels of adventure you've got this, this stuff in there that I guess is theoretically supposed to be fifth level and it's really detailing the organizations and sort of a lair for each of the four possible antagonists. So you have chapter five, six, seven, eight. That's what those are in the middle of the book. But I don't really consider them part of the adventure proper in the same way because you theoretically your characters could try to mess around with that sort of stuff before they're done with the adventure but it will probably go really badly for them. And even after your characters are fifth level, they yeah, One of the possible antagonists is Xanathar. Your fifth-level characters will get murdered if they try to fight Xanathar. But they do have some ideas to disrupt operations. And one of the things that you could theoretically do to disrupt Xanathar's operations is steal his fish, which sends him into a rage. But to me, I more think of that middle content as probably stuff that you would work in maybe going forward, uh, rather than just right at 5th level because this is part of a duology. So this is Waterdeep Dragon Heist and then coming out in November is Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage which I believe is going to be diving into Undermountain where it's pretty much flat out said it's going to be diving into Undermountain. So. Right, that's, that's what
1: the, the hints in this book are, are pointing you towards if I remember correctly.
0: Yeah, I mean... Plus, if you know Waterdeep, like that's the that's the natural assumption to make well, yes. uh, is that we're talking about under mountain. So, that is kind of a, an odd section of the book, I think, where you're really you're you've got the tail end of the book, which is okay. Here's some introduction to Waterdeep, and you've got the you know the opening hundred pages or so, which is the adventure proper. And then you've got this middle stuff, which is, it's it's some background information, maybe about what's going on with the antagonist, but stuff that I, as a DM, would be very hesitant about getting my characters really mixed up in, because it will be very hard to let them do things that are meaningful, that are not just going to get them killed. Yeah. So I, I'm, I'm curious, Jay, my favorite uh, antagonist option is the, the Castle Lanters. And that's just because they have the most interesting motivation, I think. They are, they are clearly evil people. And one of the evil things that they did was offer up their children's souls to Asmodeus in return for you know wealth and power and all that sort of stuff. And so their motivation for trying to get this money is to be able to use it as part of a blood sacrifice to Asmodeus to get their kids' souls back. And so to me, that, that I think that's really interesting that it leaves the thread hanging open up. If the players thwart this plan and then find out what the Castle Lanters are up to, okay, the, the player characters aren't going to participate in the massacre of 100 people, but wouldn't any set of good adventurers want to figure out some way to get these poor kids? I mean, these kids are like eight, you know? <laughs> At least save the kids from Esmodius.
1: Well, one would assume, yeah.
0: I don't know. But so that's, that was my favorite. Who was, who was your favorite of the antagonists?
1: I'm probably going to go with Jarlaxle, just because I like, I like the idea of, you know, having his confrontation on, on pirate. He's a pirate, having the confrontation on ships.
0: I guess, yeah, I want you, if you finally take him out anyway, he is the, he's really tough. And he's one of those characters where, if you if you want to, as the DM, you can actually have him show up repeatedly throughout the adventure, usually in some sort of disguise. And there may be cause if he's the antagonist for the players to actually go and visit him and talk to them, or and talk to him, and he will actually gladly sit down there and talk to them because he's he's sort of a bad guy, but I don't know, like he's trying to get in good with the city or something. But it is one of those things where they have to keep noting for the DM that. If the characters start a fight with Jarlaxel, then after he defeats them, he will not kill them. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yes, because he's going to defeat them. <laughs> There's really, yeah, not even no, a question. No way just, around yeah. that. <laughs> but unlike unlike Xanathar, which you really, really have to work at coming with the reason why the characters aren't just dead. Jarlaxel at least has a he actually has a reason not to just kill adventurers, whereas Xanathar kind of doesn't. Yeah. The other two things that I'd want to shout out about this, and now I regret, now I realize one of these I, I should have tossed out in the, the front. There is a poster map. Yes. In the back, I've decided that I love poster maps. So ever since I decided <laughs> that they were an appropriate decoration in my home, it's a double-sided poster map. One is, hey, here's a map of Waterdeep for you to look at, players. The other one is, here's a map of Waterdeep for me, the DM, to look at. Which has information that the players are not privy to on it. So poster maps, yes, go poster map. The other one is that if you have read Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes, one of the things that was introduced in Morden Kanan's Tome of Foes that I thought was really cool is some gender fluidity-related things with elves, and that's based on the fact that like they're they're all descended in a vague way from Corellon Lorethian who is a kind of fluid asexual creature and or deity or whatever and so you really have that getting pushed out into the elves as a concept to mess around with in Mordenkainen's Tone of Foes and if you look through the NPCs in here you'll see that sort of thing come up a couple of times with elves who are NPCs it may not be something that the players ever know depending on the circumstances certainly with at least one of them there's really no reason why they'd ever know but it's built in there for you as the, you know in into the characters if you're the the dm reading that any final thoughts that you have on the niftiness of dragon heist jay
1: am gonna toss one more piece of art in that i liked so again the back is sort of a description of water deep and So one of the things it does is it shows all the various coinages of the realm. A couple of those I was familiar of from the board game, but I didn't realize just how many different denominations of coin were involved in Waterdeep.
0: (laughs) You're like, isn't, I've I've played Lords of Waterdeep, and I would have sworn that the Crescent Moon coin was the highest one?
1: (laughs) It is the highest one, just in, you know, I thought it was only worth five times what these squares with a hole in the middle were worth, not like... 25 times the value.
0: Yeah, and like you say, it's got a nice illustration where you can actually see what these all look like, not just the, the descriptions of them. Okay. So that is Waterdeep Dragon Heist that recently released in uh, September of 2018. An adventure for levels 1 to 4, levels 1 to 5, depending how you look at it. It will feed into Waterdeep Dungeon of the Mad Mage which is coming out in November, I think about a week or so before the Ravnica Magic the Gathering D&D tie-in book is coming out. So you can kind of continue on from Dragon Heist and get in on uh, one of the biggest D&D mashups ever, really. I mean, because I hear that magic's kind of a big deal. But if you'd like to check out more from Strange Assembly, you can visit us on the web at www.strangeassembly.com. There you can find written reviews and the option to subscribe to the podcast. You can also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, in the Google Play Music Store, or on the Apple Podcasts app. If you like the podcast and like the work that Strange Assembly is doing, you can find us on Patreon and support us there. You can also just talk to us on social media. We're at Strange Assembly on Twitter, Facebook.com slash Strange and Strange Assembly on Instagram. We also like to hear directly from you, so you can reach either one of us. I am Chris at StrangeAssembly.com. Jay is Jay at StrangeAssembly.com. Wherever did we come up with those email addresses, Jay? Uh,
1: mine was randomly generated by a database, so...
0: <laughs> yeah, so instead of J-A-Y, it's like... J E I or something like that.
1: Something like that. There's a there's a 37 in it for some reason. I don't know.
0: <laughs> yes, but Chris C H R A S at StrangeAssembly.com, J J A Y at StrangeAssembly.com. Again, we like to hear from you, your feedback, your comments, your criticism, or your praise. We okay, I'll admit I'd rather have you say nice things about me than say mean things, but hey, if it's a mean thing that helps us make the show better, that's still great. But until then, for Jay Earl, I'm Chris Stevenson, and this is Strange Assembly. Never stop gaming.
1: Let's go steal a dragon.